straight out of Finland, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of Helsinki. In today's episode, Dr. Emma Sani and I finish out the chat on my brand new book, God in Emotion, through Cambridge University Press. In this episode, we discuss the final chapter of the book, which covers passibility and the problem of creepy emotions. So given omnisubjectivity, God feels everything that you feel. Do you really want God feeling absolutely everything that you feel? That might be kind of creepy. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Also, I am loving all of the messages suggesting different metal bands that I should check out, so please keep those suggestions coming. Well, ready or not, here's Emma and I talking about God and emotion. Enjoy. Great. So, Ryan, <laughs> mm-hmm. we are at the last chapter of the book, yes. which is the most uh, uncomfortable chapter of the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, uh, you know, when we had a discussion, when you were writing the book, I was like, are you seriously going to talk about that? That is brave. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. brave. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm referring to the creepy emotion. Right. And then everybody on the internet, uh-huh. they usually, when I do these talks, I usually refer to this as the horny God objection. <laughs> um, so when I was when I was in um, Innsbruck for this uh, conference on personal and non-personal conceptions of God, this was, this was I think it was 2018. Yes. And so that's where I got to meet uh, David Anzalone. And that's when I got to meet uh, Simon Hewitt and Tasia Scruton for the first time. Uh, and Robin Lay Pettivan was there. There was like it was a lot of really like really big names, like really cool people there. It was a fun conference, and I remember asking Tasia during uh, her talk. I raised one of the 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 objection, and I was like, I was like, well, you know, like Richard Creel's horny god objection, and and she thought it was very funny. But like I noticed all the like her and then like Robin Lay Pettivan and like these other people who are like very English just kept referring to it as the H word. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I had this very distinct memory of Robin Lee Pettivan just going, well, the H word was mentioned earlier. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But I'm like, as Simon Hewitt pointed out, he's like, well, but it's it's mentioned, not usage, mm-hmm. which is this nerdy uh, linguistic distinction because I'm, ref- I'm mentioning somebody else's argument. Okay. okay. Uh, and so like here in the UK, like uh, a journalist can quote you as swearing because it's a mention of your swearing. It's right. not use. They're not using that word. Yeah. Sure. So right. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. So Richard Creel has this argument that he focuses against um, Charles Hartshorn, who's a process theist. And so process theism, as I think I've talked about, I mentioned a few times in some of the other episodes. Mm-hmm. They have this claim that like God feels everything that you do, but even more so. Mm. He feels like, like way more than you do. And I'm like, I don't think you need that, but okay. And so, but but Creel's a, uh, is addressing this view, and so he's like, God feels everything that you feel, mm-hmm. absolutely everything. He's like, it's does uncomfortable. that yeah? And he's yeah. like, does that mean that God's horny? Oh and 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 I'm like, whew, point well taken, uh, because something about that seems. A bit uncomfortable. You don't. Yeah, you want say it. some people like the idea. <laughs> well, yeah. So when I did, uh, so when we when we came up with that um, the Fringe Festival show, yeah. So we came up with a, this comedy show called "Is God a Psychopath?" So we could try to present these ideas in a fun way for uh, an audience at the Edinburgh International Fringe Festival. And presenting the that, like that objection, like people in the audience, of course, like thought it was funny because mm-hmm. you know it's, it is. Mm-hmm. 
but there were some people in the audience who were like, ah, seems fine with me. That'd be pretty cool if God was horny. And I'm like, okay. I think we're, we're like kind of... Whatever. What if, fine, you know? I'm like, everybody's got different intuitions about how these, what objections uh, bother them and which ones don't. So some people are very bothered by this. I was bothered by this. Other people in the audience were like, yeah, it seems fine. It seems cool. Why not? And I'm like, okay. So Richard Creel thinks it's a problem though. But Richard Creel doesn't just leave. He just asks that question. Does this mean that God's horny? Uh, but then he points out some other uh, ones. He tries to like kind of kind of refine the objection a bit more. And there's really, really sharp ways you can refine the objection. And so here's one way to do it. So he says, imagine someone who's like a sadist. Uh, so someone just enjoys torturing innocent people. Hmm. Uh, well, do you really want to delight in the sadist torture of the innocent? Because hmm. the sadist is delighting in that. Yeah. And it seems like that's wrong. So not only is it creepy, because it's certainly creepy, Yeah, it's morally wrong. Yes. Their delight in that is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And so if God feels everything that they feel, but even more, <sighs> then God should be delighting with the sadist even more. Yeah. And then Creel turns the knife even more. He's like, and then God feels your sorrows even more than you do. And so say a sadist, like his victim dies before he got a chance to torture him just as much as he wanted to. Oh. Well, he's sad now. The sadist is sad. Is mm. God going to feel like... All the sorrow, the like, and even more so than what the sadist does. That is an awful, <laughs> awful thought. Right. Yes. And so Creel is rightfully pointing out, it seems like something has gone wrong with this passable God. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I want to go point well taken. And most people I know who work on passability, other than a few, go point well taken. Let's, let's back off a bit. Mm-hmm. But... There's something going on here with Creel's argument that I think is wrong. His understanding of empathy, I think, is misguided. So he is taking empathy to mean like just purely sharing, not just simply sharing emotions with somebody else, but also agreeing Mm -hmm. with their emotions. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the force of his argument is the way he develops it is that it's it's wrong for you to agree with the sadist Mm -hmm. in their moral judgment, because that should be their, their moral judgment that like, this is really delightful to torture, or I'm sad that my my victim died before I could torture them enough. Mm-hmm. Those are subject to moral correction. And so the argument's force is really based on God agreeing with the moral judgments or the emotional judgments of the sadist. But empathy, as we talked about in a previous episode, doesn't involve having to agree with anybody. And in fact, when I empathize with somebody, I'm in a position to disagree with them mm-hmm. because I understand. Yes. And so this is what Linda Zygzebski does. So on her view, so she says God's omnisubjective, which means God has perfect empathy with all creaturely conscious states, feels everything you do exactly the way that you feel it. Okay. So it's not this this um, process claim where it's like, he feels everything more than you do. Mm-hmm. Because like, well, that's not really empathy. Yeah. Because empathy is supposed to be like, this is what it's like for you to feel this way. And she's like, God's got that. He's got okay. it in spades. He's got it, he's got it perfectly. But because of that, God goes, I empathize with you. And that's gross. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. And I can judge you now. Mm-hmm. It seems like this objection just kind of misses the mark. Yeah. Uh, at least with regards to that. And so Zegzepsi kind of tries to tease it out a bit. So she's like, imagine uh, you're watching um, uh, There Will Be Blood. And so there's this character named uh, Daniel Plainview uh, in, in there. And he's just this moral monster. He really is. But she's like, she's like, the story writing is so good. It's so compelling that you really do get into his shoes. You feel what he feels. And you like kind of like... Like you're almost written almost in a way where you're feeling like you should root for him, mm-hmm. even though he's just awful. Mm-hmm. And she's like, one of the things that makes the story so good is like you do feel like you're supposed to be rooting for him because you really are like forced to be put in his, sho- in, in his shoes. But you just you revolt at it. Yeah. You feel gross about it. 
And she's like, that's empathy. That's real empathy. It doesn't mean agreeing. Mm-hmm. You do share the emotions they do. Yeah. But that's but then when you do that, you're able to be in a position to judge. So when it comes to this sort of objection of like, maybe there's something morally wrong with God if he if he has these emotions with you, if he empathizes with you, Zygzepsy goes, no, because he empathizes with you, he can be a perfect moral judge. Mm-hmm. So no problem. What's the big deal? He empathizes with you and goes, that's what it's like to be you. That's what you feel. That's gross. Mm-hmm. Game over. But that only helps so much because you could still go, maybe there's still something creepy about God having some of these other emotions, though. Mm-hmm. Like the horny God objection doesn't seem like it really goes away because it feels gross. So Chad McIntosh, who we've had on the show recently, he his review of uh, Zegzebski's book on omnisubjectivity, he points this out. He's like, does that mean God knows what it's like for me to have sex with my wife? That feels okay. really gross. And he messages like, <laughs> Linda yeah. about this. And here was Linda's response was... Yeah, he does. Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that response. It really tickled me that the philosopher's just like, yeah, get over it. (laughs) There's nothing to say. There's nothing to say. And so she has this very short section in in her book and in a couple of her essays on this where she's just like, I really don't see what the big deal is. Okay. Because it seems like the very idea of God sanctifying the world, making the world pure and clean God has to actually get into all the muck uh, of, of what's going on in the world and break down all these different barriers that we have to really come to where we are. And if you're going to be worried about God being infected by all of that, then you've just got this really weak view of God. God can get in there, get in the mess of, of, of creaturely existence in, in, in our sinful world and reality and figure out this is what you're going through. This is what it's like to be you. Break down those barriers and help like sanctify us and make us better and save us. And so she's like, this is just this is just Christianity 101. Okay. So if you're worried about this, then you're just basically denying really fundamental Christian doctrine. So get over it. Yeah, no, I understand that. But yeah. still, I'm still f- creeped out. Of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have the right to feel creeped out. Exactly, exactly. Okay, I'm yeah. still a human. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so you're bothered by, you know... Uh, because, uh, you know, yeah. if you say, also, you say that God is everywhere. So the idea that now is everywhere and mm-hmm. now is feel whatever I feel... In a very private moment. And mm-hmm. he's there. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. This, this and, is just, I don't know. Yeah. And something I point out in the book, too, is like, if you're a process theist, you think the universe is God's body. And so I'm like, it really feels like we've gone wrong somewhere. Like something feels mm-hmm. really gross. And the neoclassical theist does not say that the universe is God's body. So they at least have that bit of distance between things. But still, yeah, God's present there. And something feels wrong about a maximally horny God there. Uh, but, you know. So one option is to, like the Zygzapsky option to be like, you know, God is able to empathize with you, but then he makes a good, perfect moral judgment based on that. Mm-hmm. And then if you're just kind of creeped out about these other things, get over it. If you don't want that option, then I'm like, okay, well, I'll give you another option here. Here's another okay. option for the pacifist. Because you might just say omnisubjectivity is incoherent. Mm-hmm. Maybe for some of the reasons that we've, like the creepy God, the creepy emotions objection, maybe you say like that just makes this view incoherent. Okay. Because that's just, it's just, we just don't want, just, it seems wrong. Mm-hmm. Or you might think um, some problems about like, if God's empathizing with everything, then it's hard for to figure out how God is going to really be able to like, what's God's emotional judgment on the entire world going to be like at any given moment? Mm. Um, so you might have some kind of worries like this. And so you can be like, okay, I don't need omnisubjectivity. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I actually identify that um, something we talked about in, in one of the earlier episodes was different thinkers in the early 1900s who were working on this. So Francis McConnell in Indiana and then Bertrand Bresna here in Scotland. Mm-hmm. 
they actually don't think that God empathizes with absolutely everything. They think God better have empathy, but they go, he can't, there's certain things he cannot know. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to sin, for instance, like really wicked sin, they'll say God knows the cost of sin. He knows that you're sinning. Mm -hmm. Can he empathize with your sin though? Can he empathize with like, you know, what you're like, your delight in sin? Mm -hmm. And they're going to go, no, no, he can't can't because he could have a scientific knowledge of it is what Bertrand Brasnett says which just means like just propositional knowledge I guess mm-hmm. but he can't have he can't have like some of the emotions that go with it uh, so there's certain the phenomenal knowledge that you'd get he couldn't they're gonna say God can't have that okay and Francis McConnell when he's looking at this he asks well does that mean that God's limited in his knowledge and he was like of course it does and he's like if we have we have to limit God's knowledge uh, you know uh, then we should because otherwise, the cost is God's moral perfection. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, we, you know, we place logical limits on God's power. Mm-hmm. We place logical limits on God's knowledge. Well, we should place moral limits on those things, too, mm-hmm. because that's part of his nature. Uh, and so he's like, he's like, no problem. We're worried about God being limited here. And so I developed something that Yuji Nagasawa does, which is called a maximal God thesis, which is that God has whatever the maximal range of power, maximally consistent range of power, goodness, knowledge, and so on. So that might fall short of like of the omnis. But it's going to be whatever, like, the greatest possible amount or degree of these these uh, properties are. And so when I look at omnisubjectivity, I'm like, well, maybe that's incoherent, but God could have the the greatest degree of maximally consistent empathy. Mm-hmm. And it falls short of omnisubjectivity because there might be certain things that God just can't empathize with. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Because, you know, sometimes you see, like, this horrendous homicide of um, killers mm-hmm. uh, and you... You know, you look, watch this documentary that, you know, try to get in the mind of this killer. Right. And it's fascinating. You could try to figure out why this person did what it did. But obviously, how, how you feel horrified in the mm-hmm. end of what this person did. And uh, there is uh, like a barrier there that you n- will never understand fully mm-hmm. why this is, this is something that you would do. Yes. Yeah, because when yeah, because when we've seen some of these documentaries, like I do, really struggle to go. Like, I see what they're saying. Yeah, because they give you the kid some very good documentary, give mm-hmm. you a full story, very convincing, mm-hmm. and you know, listen to it, and I'm like, okay, I understand. But man, that's terrible. But there, yeah, but there's still some kind of bridge there where I'm like, I can't fully understand. Yes, I I, I can understand the things you're saying, mm-hmm. what it's like to to see it from that perspective I can't I can't do it exactly and yeah. does it make me feel I know less mm-hmm. not really because right. I don't really want to know because you don't want to know those things yeah I'm like thank you no yeah uh, I yeah. don't think that add anything mm-hmm. to me right and that's that what knowledge and right? that's what exactly what like uh, this old Scottish theologian this old Hoosier theologian say is it doesn't really add anything to God. It would it would actually detract from his moral goodness. Yeah. So we don't need God having that. It's still good for God to empathize to the best he can. It's mm-hmm. still good for God to feel sad and a whole range of other emotions about what's going on in the world, but we can't have him empathizing with everything. And so it's a much weaker thesis about empathy than the, omnisub- the omnisubjectivity thesis. So I, I think that avoids the creepy objections problem. Keith Ward, who's a contemporary philosophical theologian, uh, he looks at something similar he actually yeah he looks at creel's objection and he adds a few other things so he's like you know horny got objection he just kind of leaves that one inside he doesn't want to touch it 
because uh, I'm one of the, I think I'm one of the few people who's actually tried to address that. Uh, <laughs> everybody else attacks the sadist example from from, mm-hmm. uh, from Creel. Maybe I'm more brave or maybe I'm more foolhardy. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Who knows? But um, Keith Ward adds a different uh, objection to the table. He's like, what about feeling utterly hopeless or feeling completely stupid? Mm-hmm. Well, can a perfectly rational God feel stupid? Utterly no, stupid? No, but I'm feeling like sometimes human do very, very idiotic thing. Yeah. And so I can see him having a moment like, why did I do this project again? What I was <laughs> thinking? You know, I think for a moment he will like dwell on it. I'm like, ah, okay, okay. Things are getting better right now. Okay. Right. I can't right, consider right. it another nice thing, but yeah. Yeah. And so Keith Ward goes, well, God can understand what it's like for you to feel stupid, but God himself can't feel stupid like utterly stupid that would make sense so he's like yeah yeah god just doesn't you know doesn't really have that emotion he can only understand so much of what it's like for you to feel stupid and he's like what about utter hopelessness and he's like well no god couldn't feel that either god can know what it's like for you to feel utterly hopeless mm-hmm. and god would know to some extent like understand like you know the experience of hopelessness but he couldn't utter no utter hopelessness because god knows his plan for the future and knows that he's gonna like win and conquer everything and defeat evil and so we couldn't ever feel utterly hope, utterly hopeless, because that would just be irrational, mm-hmm. based on everything God does in fact know. Mm-hmm. And so, so Keith Ward, like you know, like builds the objection up, like Creel's objection up in a more interesting way uh, with regards to like perfect rationality, mm-hmm. and then you know gives a response to it to that as well. And so I talk about that in the book too. To go again, we've got this claim that's not omnisubjectivity, still passibility. It's a weaker thesis on on passibility than mm-hmm. omnisubjectivity, but here are these moves that people are making, so you can. You know, people who are reading, they can make up their own mind on which view they want to take. But don't you feel like with all this emotional stuff, you're mm-hmm. making God a creature? No. No. Because what it means to be the creator is you're like the ground or cause of all the contingent stuff. Mm-hmm. And God did that. And so God feels some stuff. Then all of a sudden he becomes like a thing that was caused to exist by something else. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how we got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I hear this objection a lot, but I'm like... I don't, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've got God who is a necessarily existent, omnipotent, omniscient being who is like the sole cause of all reality. But he gets sad sometimes, so therefore he must be a creature. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, if anything's a caricature, that's one. And I'm like, can we please never mention this again? Like, <laughs> But I know it's one I'm going to have to like respond to for at least another like 10 years or so mm-hmm. before I can run enough arguments or at least like maybe like belittle people into saying like please stop raising silly <laughs> objections don't. like this raise some real objections because there's some really interesting ones let's talk about those but don't talk about these silly ones like <laughs> those don't have any place in like an irrational discourse let's look at some real objections like the creepy god the creepy emotions one that's a real interesting objection yes yeah so do you think you can make a list of emotion that uh, god cannot have i originally wanted to do that mm-hmm the project got too big and and, and so I just abandoned it because mm-hmm. there's all these debates in philosophy of emotion about um, which emotion types there are. So different people come up with like lists of what the, the, the broad types of emotions there are and they mm-hmm. disagree on their lists. So some oh. people might say there's six broad types of emotions other people are like, no, there's nine. And I'm like, oh crap, I'd have to first sort out that debate. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. I want to get back to my philosophy of time stuff. <laughs> yes. So you guys you guys sort that out. You sort it out and yeah. come back in 10 years. Exactly. I'll just copy your homework mm-hmm. uh, and and then go, okay, can God have that one? Nah, can you have this other one? Sure, why not? But so yeah, so uh, 
the best I could say is I've, I've been able to identify these criteria of God can ever, whichever emotions are perfectly rational and whichever are going to be consistent with perfect morality. Mm-hmm. But the philosopher's motion are going to have to sort out themselves. Yeah, how because many like uh, feeling are. stupid, I don't think is a moral problem. It doesn't seem like a moral one. No, but it sounds like it's a rational it, problem. right? Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> you felt stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A rational person. If it were perfectly rational, you wouldn't be. Yeah. You wouldn't do something <laughs> stupid. Yeah. The criteria I develop, like they will be useful for depending on how you want to make different moves in philosophy of motion. Mm-hmm. So if you identify six broad emotion types or nine or whatever, mm-hmm. cool, then you can use these criteria to discern from there. So you have to build in more to your theory of emotions in order to figure that out. One thing I do want to say, though, that God can't have is God cannot have moods. Mm. Uh, so moods are things like philosophy of emotion say um, they're non-rational or they're irrational. Or mm-hmm. at times they're irrational because there might be something that puts you in a bad mood. But when you have a bad mood, you're like you're angry at everything and nothing. Mm-hmm. And then it leads you to these emotions that are about everything and nothing. And so they're not rational. Yeah. Uh, and this is a pretty standard like view on moods in the philosophy of emotion. And so I want to say God can't have those. He can't have moods. So you're never going to catch God, like God on a bad day. OK. Yeah. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah. Then, of course, you wouldn't also catch him on a good day either where he's like he's just. He's just in a really good mood. I don't know why. He doesn't know why. There's no why. He just is in a good mood. So you're not going to get catch God on a day like that either. So like he's always know. happy. Obviously, going to be in a good mood well, right. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, these on classical theme, he's like, you know, so he has a good reason for why he's happy because he's, you know, he's the greatest good. So mm-hmm. he's perfectly acquainted with that. Still, these things, maybe. <laughs> <sighs> just, as I say, I just imagine this guy just giggling in a corner, pat himself in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like a wise uh, figure <laughs> that popped in my mind you're thinking he's like he's a giggly teenager I don't think that <laughs> I don't think that's how the classical theist is well, that's uh, the way it is you know if you're perfectly happy with yourself content and like mm-hmm. and I it, you know and the only thing well you know I think I do good all the time that's mm-hmm. how we feel like oh, yeah, yeah it's so great today did I He's just, just patting himself on the back. Yes. He's like, I did this good stuff for myself and yeah. only myself because nothing else can influence me. Yeah. High five to myself. Well, at least it'll be with the Trinity so they could high five each other. Like, you've got that. I, I always forget these three people. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Well, we say persons. <laughs> We're not supposed to say people because then that sounds like there's too much of a plurality because three people doesn't sound like a plurality. I don't know. My English sometimes is not that accurate. I'm, that was at a conference once uh, on the Trinity, and a particular scholar who I will not name stood up and said, you cannot say three people because then it sounds like it's tritheism, whereas you can say three persons okay. uh, because three people is too much plurality. And I was like, three persons? Plur- S, plural S, three? That doesn't sound like too much like a <laughs> multiple. And so I was so tempted. I did not, but I was super tempted to for the rest of the conference be like so the three people of the trinity how would you deal with you know and like just raise different objections during the q a by constantly saying three people i refrained and, and adopted person. the link because i'm a good person yes i did call some people out on their over usage of playing the ineffable mystery card but you know but i did not say three people okay in italian yeah. it's easier because it's uh we have one word for that mm. like so it's persone see and there we go so and you mm-hmm. only have that yeah tre persone Persona. So you can confuse. So can confuse. So it's um, an English-speaking war problem, I mm-hmm, think. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all that to say, I don't think the classical theist is imagining God like just like giggling like a schoolgirl uh, up in heaven. Um, oh, man. It's a, 
I think it's a more devastating. It's a, it's devastating. a different kind of happiness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, what I do in the book then to try to I guess sort of close out this series of episodes is I've got two objections, two broad objections to classical theism. So this love argument and this wrath argument. And then I've got two broad objections to neoclassical theism, one based on like moral judgments and wrath, and then this creepy emotions objection. So that way I've got two objections to each of you. Mm-hmm. And so that way people can try to make up their own mind about how things go, because I'm trying to be even handed. And then I end the book with asking, you know, what's the future of this debate going to look like? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know. Because when Marshall Randall's wrote on impassibility in the year 1900s, he was saying impassibility it's the main view passability this is a, just a passing mood is what he said <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and it's not you know he's like it's not gonna it's not gonna catch on and then it did you know it, caught, it became the dominant view throughout the 20th century <laughs> and so i leave it with maybe classical theism is gonna make a huge comeback i really predict that it, that is gonna be the case that mm-hmm. impassibility is gonna make a huge comeback um i already see it happening for the last several years and i think it's gonna continue to do so but maybe I'll maybe it's just another passing mood, and I'll make a horrible, like you know, miscalculation like Randall's did. But I leave it up to people, the readers, to to figure out how they feel about the debate and where are they going to take these arguments. I don't know. It's up to them, and that's what will set the agenda. I think for for the for the future on these sort of issues related to God and emotion. Wow. And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for episodes on the Holy Spirit, Atonement, and so much more.